Amen. Amen. Let's turn to Acts chapter 3, verse 22. Acts chapter 3, verse 22 says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which would not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And... Verse 22 and verse 23, you know, Peter is Peter's still preaching to this crowd that's gathered around this lame man. Keep in mind, that's, this is where we are still. And he's preaching to them, and he's reminding them, again, he's, he's encouraging them. He's encouraging is not the right word. He is pleading and preaching the word that they will repent and acknowledge who Christ is. And again, he, he's taking them back. Y'all going to get tired of hearing me say this, but... I think it's important that we understand and, and we remember that he's taken them back. These men and these people that were present that day, they knew the scriptures. A lot of them did. And he's taken them back here to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And if, and if I turn back there and read, it's going to be the same exact words that Peter told them that day. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 says this, Again, now listen to what this verse says, because, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a, uh, what do I want to say, a, a catch-all phrase. What Moses tells them here is very specific, and listen to how he describes the prophet that will come. And then he's talking about the Messiah. He says, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee. I mean, he's telling them, he's going to come from, from among you all. That's where he's going to come from. And he says, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And in verse 19, he goes on and he says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. What that means is judgment's going to come. That's what, that's, what, that's what Moses was telling the people then. And that's what Peter is telling the Jews now. And he's saying, you know, the message is clear. It's, it's, it's repent and be converted. I mean, here in verse um, 20, let me get to right here, 23, he says, and if you won't hear, you'll be destroyed. And he says, repent and be converted from or face destruction and separation from God. That's what he's, that's what he's telling them. You know, and the, and the Bible teaches us that the nation of Israel did not repent. And dis listen, destruction did come. I think we kind of lose sight of these things when we're reading these verses sometimes or we read different parts of the Bible, but destruction did come. And you say, well, how did destruction come? You think uh, roughly, okay, from this point in time where Peter was speaking to these people and all the things that had happened, about 40 years, give or take, from that point in time that we're looking at here in Acts chapter 3, 
the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Forty-some years. And the Lord told them, if you don't repent, destruction is coming. Let me tell you what, our country is going to face the same thing. It's, if our country doesn't repent, God's going to destroy it. I mean, now, people can say whatever they want, but that's a fact. Okay? And now, you say when. I have no idea when, but it's going to happen. Just as sure as we're sitting here this morning, one of these days it's going to happen. It's going to happen. What's that? Oh, that's right. That's right. That's absolutely. That's right. So, and when you think about this, I came across this. J. Vernon McGee, he made a note, and he said that it's estimated, and I want you to listen to this. This is in the city of Jerusalem that over one million people perished. Why? Simply because they would not turn. It's that simple. They wouldn't repent. One million people perished, and that doesn't, and the remainder were sold into slavery throughout the entire Roman Empire. I mean, Jerusalem was devastated, totally. And Peter was telling them here, if you don't repent, judgment's coming. Like I said, judgment came. So judgment came. And then here in verses 24 through 26, when we're reading here and he's talking about the prophets, he's saying, God has sent people to warn you. God has sent people to tell you what's coming. And you've got to listen. But they tell us that they were offered Here's the key. The Jews were offered salvation first. We know this, right? They were chosen first. But it was still up to them to make a decision, just like us. You know what I mean? God wants everybody to be saved. God's plan is a perfect plan of salvation. It's a perfect plan. It's a perfect salvation. It's a perfect gospel. It goes out to everybody. But each person has got to make a choice what they're going to do with that. So you think over 2,000 years ago, the plan has not changed. Man, I tell you what, in this time that we live in today, I'm glad I can look at this right here, and I'm glad I can look at God's plan and know it has not changed. It hadn't changed so far, and it's not going to change. So if you're struggling this morning, let me just tell you, if you feel like your foundation's wobbling a little bit, Get in his word, because his word will solidify you. I can tell you that right now. Nothing else is going to help you, okay? You say, well, you're not the preacher. No, I'm not, but I can witness to you from personal experience that nothing else is going to help you. When you get on shaky ground, you know what? Pastor Tom can't always be there. He can't always, you know, you can't always get a hold of him, maybe. I mean, he's really good to get a hold of. Don't get me wrong. But right here, this book right there and the Lord is always right there and uh, I don't know where that came from this morning but anyway but he'll trust I tell you what we trust in him we trust in his word he'll keep us on solid ground okay but um, so they were told but it still was up to them to repent and receive Christ as Messiah and Savior and sadly we know as we go through God's word they, they did not as I just said so we come to chapter 4 and here at the beginning of chapter 4, we're going to see the results of Peter's, what I'm going to say is Peter's second sermon. To me, his, his first sermon was on the day of Pentecost. That was his first one. And to me, now he's preaching his second one here after they've healed this, after the Lord has healed this lame man. And the results of his second sermon... I know it was God doing these things, so just kind of give me a little bit of leeway there. I'm not giving credit to Peter. I'm giving it to the Lord. 
but there was 5,000 men saved. That's down here in verse 4 of chapter 4. But, you know, I, I think, you know, it says there, there was 5,000 men saved. I got to believe, the Bible doesn't say it, that there was women and children saved also. I think the number was much more than 5,000. Now, I, you know, I just, that's just my personal thought. Everybody can, is entitled to their own personal thought on that. But, but, you know, like I said, it doesn't tell us that. So let's just, just think for a minute about these men, Peter and John. And let's, if we go back to chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Acts, think about this. And think about the, pe the people that were with them at the time when Christ ascended okay and at that point in time after his ascension if you go back in chapter one i'm not going to turn there but you can check me um there was 120 gathered and they were gathered together and what were they doing they were praying and they were waiting on the lord to move that's what they were doing i mean they were they were they were fellowshipping they were praying and they were seeking god to move there was 120 of them then on the day of Pentecost, there was how many saved? There was 3,000 souls saved. The Bible tells us that. That's in chapter 2, I believe. And then after that, still in chapter 2, the Bible tells us the Lord added to the church daily. Now you think about that. And here in chapter 4, we see 5,000 men saved. And, you know, here's the thing. Think about this. We think about the times that we live in today. And people that, I'm just going to say it, profess to be preachers, okay? Because they've got letters on the end of their name, okay? Or they've got backing of people or whatever. But you think about these early, what I'm going to call the early church pastors. The apostles and the disciples that were with them. That were out preaching God's word, seeking to see people saved. They didn't have any credentials behind their name. They didn't have any education that said they had gone to a seminary or someplace. And I'm not knocking that, okay, but I'm just saying. They didn't have a college education. But what they had was the power of God, the touch of God upon them because God had moved upon them and God was using them because they were willing to yield. And, um, you know, they didn't, even have the, they didn't even have the support of the political leaders at that time. As a matter of fact, most of them were against them, you know. And so they had, they had one person to rely upon. That one person was Christ, the Holy Spirit. That's who they had to rely, to rely upon. And, but there was also something else very important, I think. And when you go back and think about the 120, and as you come forward... There was one thing that was real key to all this, and to me, that's prayer. I mean, the church, the early church, they knew how to pray so that God's hand could work in mighty power. Okay, and you say, well, can that still happen today? I think it's, it has happened. We heard testimonies this morning that says God's hand is still just as powerful today as God's hand was back then. You say, well, we're not seeing all these people say I'm not getting into that. All I'm saying is we've got a, a devotion, a responsibility, and accountability that we need to be seeking his face every day. I mean, because that's what they were doing. And because of that, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were able to minister to people. They were able to share his word, share his gospel. And as a result of that, there was people saved because of that. I mean, 
the process hasn't changed. You know what I mean? I mean, if somebody's going to get saved, it's still going to take the Spirit of God to touch them, to convict them of their lost condition, and they still have to say, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I want to turn and get away from it, and I want Christ to come into my heart and live and help me live for you. And it's still the same way. So, but I think the prayer was, is, was so important and, and the faith that they had because the Bible tells us, and I didn't note down the, the verse here, but you all can check me. The Bible tells us that, think about what Jesus himself said early in his ministry. He said he did not many mighty works in Nazareth. Why? Because of their lack of faith and their unbelief. It makes a big difference. You know, I mean, it makes a big difference. If our faith is weak, don't be expecting the mountains to start shaking around you when you need something, okay? I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but if our faith needs to be, we got to be grounded in Him. And that's, these people were. They were grounded in Him. Their entire life was centered around Him. Now, I dare say that as I look around this sanctuary, I believe that He's the center of our lives. I believe that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here this morning. You know what I mean? I mean, but uh, I tell you, our lost family, neighbors, people that you work with, people we don't even know, people all around this church, they need Christ. I mean, that's their greatest need. Society would tell them that they need a check every week or month, or they need, you know, this or that or the other, or they need, you know, love and compassion. They meet Christ. They'll get all the love and compassion that they need. I mean, they'll get everything they need. But So, you think about that. Think about these, these early men and the women who were in the church. And then we come to, let me read verses 1 through 4. So, all these wonderful things are going on. And then, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And listen to this, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Why is there, why is there opposition to the church today? I'm talking about the real church, the church, that, the church like our church, okay, I'll just say it, that preaches the gospel and seeks to see people saved. Why is there opposition? That's right. Well, and I mean, we're trying to... Maybe this doesn't sound good, but I'm going to say teach people. I mean, we're trying to help people understand that they need Jesus in their life, right? I mean, and there's opposition to that. People, they don't want people to be told that. And like you said, the devil doesn't want people to be told that. So there's always, there's going to be opposition. And they, and they go on and they say, and they laid hands on them, talking about Peter and John, and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. And here in verse 4, what I already mentioned, how be it? Many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we know that they were against Christ. We know this. And if you think back to when Christ was on the earth doing his ministry, it was the Pharisees primarily that rose up against Christ in his ministry here on earth. The Sadducees were there too, but the Pharisees were really against him, and why? Because, again, it was the teaching. They were the ones that felt like they were the teachers. They were to be the ones who were to, t- to teach the people, to share with the people. And he was a direct threat to them. And um, 
hated him for that, for teaching the people. And, but you think about some of these men that were Pharisees, potentially. We know Nicodemus was one. The Bible tells us that, right? And you think, and I thought about Joseph of Arimathea. I don't know for sure if he was a Pharisee or not, but from what I read, he was probably part of the council, maybe, on the, on the Sanhedrin council. So, but these men, these two men in particular, I just started thinking about. And I thought, here's two men that they were part of this, I don't know, this group, let's just say, you know, from a, from a worldly perspective, they thought they had it going, right? They had position, they had attention, they had, I don't know if you want to call it fame or not, but they had recognition. How's that sound? Public recognition. And I thought about them, but then certain ones of them, they knew the scriptures. A lot of them did. They knew the scriptures. They knew what the prophets said. They knew what the words, what they had been taught. They knew that. I mean, that was what they did. But yet when Jesus came on the scene and all the opposition against him, there were some that were not against him. There were some, when they saw him and they saw what he did, they said, he's the one. He is the Christ. And you say, well, what are you, what are you saying? Because it's no different today. There's a lot of people that don't want anything to do with Jesus. But boy, I tell you what, one of these, that day that I met him, he changed me. I can tell you that. And he changed every one of us in here that's saved, okay? We're not perfect people, but by, by his grace, we're different. And I'm thankful for that. And he'll change us. You can't meet him and turn around and leave and not be, you just can't do it, okay? You just can't. But, that's right, that's right. But you know, and you know something, Wendell, I, I mean, since you said that, I'll just say it. We, we need to be cognizant of that. When we're talking to people, we shouldn't say God did it. We ought to say the Lord. We ought to say, right, my Lord and Savior, my, you know what I mean? Jesus. I mean, we should make sure that we're getting the word out. Whether anybody else will or not, we need to make sure we get the word out that it's Jesus Christ. So, so, so the Pharisees. So let's think about these two men real quick. And I, and I just had to go back and, and look at the scripture where these men are mentioned. And we know, we know Nicodemus came to Jesus, John chapter 3. We know that. He came to him at night. And he acknowledged that he was the great, and he said, nobody, no man can do these things, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, unless God be with him. That's what he told him. And, but look back at Luke 23. I need to read these because Luke 23. It says, and behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just the same had not consented to the council and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. He was saved. I mean, I, I mean, I take that to me. He was saved. He knew the Lord. He, he, he had met him somewhere along the way. So listen to what he says. It says, This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that it had been hewed in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And then if you come over to John chapter 19, John chapter 19, verse 38, 
We get a, Joseph wasn't alone. Okay, he wasn't by himself. And here we see, it says in verse 38, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And listen to what verse 39 says. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wadded in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. Listen to what this says. There laid they Jesus, therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. God's hand, God's plan is perfect. I mean, you think about, I mean, you think all these moved upon these men, and you know what? This shows these men loved the Lord. They knew who he was, and because they knew who he was, they loved him. They met Jesus, and their lives were changed forever because they placed their faith in him. You know, I mean, they were, they were around self-righteous, self-centered people day in and day out. I mean, they, I'm going to say they worked with them, so to speak. I mean, much like us, okay? We're all in different places, right? Around folks that don't believe. But it didn't change them. It didn't change them. And they placed their faith in him because they knew who he was. They loved him. And because they loved him, this is the thing. Because they loved him, they were willing to step out at the risk of themselves being persecuted and even maybe removed from their positions. I mean, if the Jews would have found out, probably, they would have ousted them, right? They would have ousted them. But they didn't care. They wanted to make sure that our Lord and Savior was given a proper burial. Now, you think about that. To me, that's, that's true love. That's true love. You put yourself, you get your own wants out of the way, you don't worry about, well, you know what? This might have some negative impacts on me. They didn't care about that because they knew that he was the Messiah, and they knew that he was, they loved him that much that they were willing to take that risk to take care of him. And now we come to verse 1, and here's the Sadducees. And, you know, Jesus is not on the earth anymore. We know this at this point in time. He's ascended. And the Pharisees were after Christ. They were after him to convict him all along. But now the apostles are carrying on his ministry. The apostles are preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Sadducees, it's already been said, they hated that. You know, and what I read, they didn't even believe in miracles. It didn't matter who said, whether it was Jesus that had supposedly done them or whatever. They didn't believe. You know... I tell you what, we can get so stuck things in our minds that we miss what the truth is. We've got to be careful because that's where these men were, I believe. They were so self-centered. They were so self-righteous. They thought they knew so much in their head that it didn't matter what was going on around them. I mean, Jesus Christ himself was right there in front of them, and they said, we don't believe. That's sad, is it not? That's sad. And they didn't believe in the resurrection or the miracles, and they didn't want anybody to teach. You know, and so I'm going to stop there. But So what they do? They went to the temple, 
And they got the religious leaders all stirred up so they would come and cause the apostles problems is what they did. So, but I'm going to stop there. <laughs>